We've all been experiencing some form of grief over the past year and a half, and I've been talking to a lot of people, and many of us have been dealing with different kinds of grief tied to the pandemic. So for some people, it's a loss of a loved one, and for some of us, it's a loss of a, of a lifestyle or a fear that we've lost um, a lifestyle. Today, I'm talking to Darcy Harris, who is a professor in the Department of Thanatology at King's College University, which is part of the University of Western Ontario. And in really general terms, for those of you who don't know what thanatology is, it's the multifaceted study of death and grieving. Hi, Darcy. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Janice. Thanks for inviting me. It's good to be here. First, can you just um, tell me what were the, I think we all used to think there were, um, you know, five stages or st different stages of grief pre-COVID. How did we uh, view grief and how did people work through the kind of grief when they've lost a loved one? It's an interesting question because uh, grief, we always compare it to like the snowflakes or to a fingerprint that each person's grief is very unique to that person. Uh, I will debunk a little bit. We we don't really talk about stages and phases of grief because there's no linear way of looking at, at grief and loss. It really is, um, it unfolds the way the person experiences the grief unfolds. And for some people, it's very different than others. So I think that's one of the hard things is that because it doesn't follow a typical pattern, it never really has, it's really hard to get a grasp of, well, what is normal grief? What is not normal grief? Uh, when do we know there's a problem? And um, you know, how do, we, how do we work through grief? Because it's really not a, a, a map that tells us, oh, this is where you are and this is where you're gonna be next. Yes, I, um, I've lost my, uh, my mom, my dad, and uh, recently, a couple of years ago, my older brother, Mm -hmm. And the uh, and it's because it's interesting you say that because the feelings of grief and the time it took, I, I guess, were different for all three. And um, part of what I had to, to go through wasn't just the loss, but the complexity of the relationship yeah. before I could get to the to the feeling of loss. And and that was really difficult to find out that, uh, you know, it wasn't just that you lost a loved one, you're going to miss them. But there were all of these issues that went through my mind. And I'm sure that's different for everybody. And a different, Absolutely. you know, sometimes people will say, well, you should be over it. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes people will say that two weeks, three months, who knows, right. but, uh, you know, we get over it the way and the time that takes. And, and some people, the way they work through their grief is by being busy and they don't really look like they're grieving per se. And other people are really struggling and are debilitated and it takes a very long time. There, there's really no way to say, this is normal, this is not, except to really look at how functional the person is. Um, but the, you, we grieve the way the relationship unfolded as well, that you know, when a relationship was difficult and complicated and complex, often the grief afterwards is also the same way that the relationship was. It's just the opposite of what we would think. I used to think that if you had a really close, healthy relationship, um, that the grief would be harder, but those uh, types of relationships, you know, often lend to grief that has support and people who are able to process their grief in ways that um, are helpful. And, you know, and, and again, well, pre-COVID when we could all, you know, be out and about and talking to people, it was always so helpful. And I think it's helpful to everybody when, no matter who you meet, they, and you say, oh, well, you know, I lost my dad. Uh, and everybody says, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm 
and closer friends will say, I'm so sorry, is there anything I can do for you? Would you know, would you would you like to come over for dinner or something? So I lost my father-in-law in February just before COVID. And so we weren't able to, I, I don't think, really grieve in the way that we normally would have pre-COVID. And how has it how has it been for people? I mean, what's different about the way um, we've been able to grieve personally for the loss of someone we love? Uh, you know, if you think about how most of us gravitate towards the funeral is kind of the acknowledgement that, that this has happened. Um, and it's where we, we go when, um, you know, we look for the support that people offer to us and also that people know what has happened. So I think, you know, during COVID when funerals were either down to just a very handful of people or video conference, you didn't get the hug. Um, you didn't get the, the people coming to you and people you know, offering their support in, in that way. We're, we're very much tactile and um, you know, this is where coming together makes a big difference. So I, I think the lack of being able to just have that type of just everyday funeral ritual uh, where you honored the person, where you had people reaching out to you is, is huge. But then one of the things I think about now is the people who lost a loved one during the time of COVID, whether the death was a COVID death or not, and had to go through that very limited uh, ritual, or some people deferred, didn't even do a funeral thinking they would do it later. And now here we are a year and a half later, and it's, um, it's difficult because, you know, are you just now grieving or you're in a very different place with your grief and you haven't had that support along the way. So people coming up to you, for them, the grief may be a fresh news or for other people, it might be, wow, that happened such a long time ago. Why are we doing this? So it's, it's complicated for, for people to figure out um, what's going to work. And I do think a lot of people will say it's just not worth the trouble to go through it now, but they'll be missing out on something that really is um, a hallmark for how we attach meaning to the life of someone that we loved. Well, and of course, a lot of people have lost someone who was living in long-term care. Mm -hmm. And all they've been able to do is wave at the person through a window so they're so they were i guess kind of grieving the loss of that connection with the Absolutely. person when they were alive and then they lost that ability to sort of sit and deal and uh and be able to absorb what it what has happened and i had a friend who was whose father had a massive heart attack and she wasn't able to go in and see him mm -hmm. and and he, he, I mean, he didn't go to the window and wave. He couldn't. Yeah. So she stood outside the window and then somebody came and told her that her dad had died and, and she was devastated. Right. I've, I've heard so many stories the same way. And some of the clients that come into my private practice have also shared these types of stories and how traumatizing it was for them to feel so helpless and powerless to not be able to just touch or to, to talk directly to the person who was dying. Um, other people have been able to be allowed at the bedside, but they're in such full PPE that right. it's not even recognizable. And so in their minds, the last image that their loved one had was of them looking like an alien. They didn't look recognizable to them um, and maybe didn't recognize them or didn't know. So it's, it's been, you know, we really don't have a paradigm for dealing with all of this. And, you know, there was no book on how to do pandemic grief. There was no book on how to do uh, saying goodbye when you're not with the person um, in, in a real way. 
So, and, and there are many people in long-term care homes, especially who uh, can't use like a cell phone or who, you know, you try to do video conferencing and it's not meaningful to them. So sometimes it even makes them feel more agitated or more frustrated. So this need to connect is often um, very difficult and not met with the ease that we might have with just everyday communication with people. And that's the image you have of saying goodbye to your loved one. Uh, those are, you always think about those last moments. You think about being able to, to be there, to say goodbye, to hold a hand. Um, and being denied that is, is really uh, important uh, and probably has a lot to do with how grief has unfolded during this time. And mourning the loss of the ability to be with the person Absolutely. and um, that kind of grief. I, I mean, I can't imagine losing someone who was in a long-term care home and there must be so much, I think there's always anger, right? Um, mm -hmm. Attached to grief at, at some mm -hmm. form, mm -hmm. but the anger must just be <clears throat> almost overwhelming. You think of anger as a, a protective emotion, right? That, you know, when we're, we have our anger that comes up, anger is really protecting that vulnerable part of us. And so anger is going to be a big part of grief of any type of loss because it's protecting us uh, from the vulnerability that we feel. And the anger here, it's hard to direct it to a place that feels constructive because it's a, it's a virus. I mean, what are you gonna direct it towards? You might direct it to the government, you might direct it to the healthcare facility, you know, there might be other places where you direct it, but really it's quite diffuse. And so it sits there um, and festers for so many people that this anger of feeling deprived and feeling that they were put in a situation they shouldn't have been put in. You think about long-term care. I mean, your loved one is in long-term care to protect them and to put them into a place where they're safe and, and where they will be uh, cared for. And this is the absolute place that was not safe in the very beginning when we realized how vulnerable uh, older people were in these long-term care homes to COVID. And the first big uh, losses that we had in Canada were in long-term care homes and how people would feel if they had an active involvement in helping their loved one go into this long-term care home because it was best because they knew they'd be cared for and just the opposite is what happened. I want to talk about the other kind of grief that people have been experiencing over the past year and a half, and that is a grief attached to losing their way of life. Mm -hmm. And we went along for many, many months. Uh, we were okay with it mm -hmm. because we were constantly seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and that tunnel was short, and then it got longer, and then it got longer, and it got longer. And when I really noticed it personally, and when I started to notice it in my friends was in January. So the mm -hmm. beginning the beginning of this year. And I think it was almost like we all realized that we don't know when it's going to end because it stop, start, stop, start. But we do know now for sure we're not going back to where we were and maybe not even as close as we thought six or eight months ago. And I feel like people are grieving that sense of losing life that, that they knew and understood. Yeah, I, I used to call it the grieving the life as we once knew it to be, or living our lives as we had them. Um, I noticed it especially, I have a, a teenager. <laughs> so, um, and she was, she was hanging in there. She was doing pretty good until the lockdown right after Christmas. And for her not being able to be with her friends, not being able to um, she was graduating this year, right, from high school. So not being able to do her normal things, there was no prom, there was, there was no real graduation, there was no getting together with her friends. 
Um, and she melted down, you know, at the end of January. And I felt so sorry for her. There's nothing I could do. And I just felt so sorry. And I thought it's these places that, you know, we, we've been, like you said, troopers. We've, we've tried to do it. We've tried to do what we're supposed to do. Um, and I don't know how we'll ever get back. I'm in education and we're still trying to sort out what is education going to look like after all of this? Um, what has the price been for young people who've not been able to learn together and be together? Um, and for all of us who had taken things for granted for so long, our lives were going to be this way and this was our daily routine. And coming out of this is, is really like um, shaking your head and going, what do we do now? Um, so I think those are those are big, important questions. I don't think there's a single person has not been affected in some way, shape or form. And uh, we don't know what this is really going to all look like. How do we go forward from here? I mean, you you're having to guide your teenager, which I, I know that um, as a teenager, they start to learn their social norms and the social cues and what's right and what's wrong and in, in dealing with people and it's again it's not like they're going to go back and we're going to be able to say okay here's the old textbook yeah. for for social key on all these things you needed to learn between the ages of 15 and and 18 because we don't know what that is so mm -hmm. we don't even really know how to help our kids what is it that we can do is or is there any way that we can prepare for this unknown um, just, just before I ask you that question, I haven't seen my family since last March, so March, 2020, and I've started to get this feeling and it's a, and I've realized it's a grief feeling that I'm afraid I'll never see them again. Mm -hmm. Or when I do see them again, it will be so different that I won't understand. And then I even go to the point where I worry, like, I'll never be part of my family again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, I share very similar, and I'm sure these experiences are, are not just you and I. Uh, I've shared my 95-year-old my father lives in Florida with all the rest of my family. He's been hospitalized three times this past year. Each time I have sat dreading that I'm not going to see him before he dies. Each time I thought, oh my goodness, something's going to happen and I'm not going to be there. Um, I did finally get to go down uh, just two weeks ago and um, see him. And then I noticed all of the, um, all the kids in the family, you know, the, my, my niece, uh, nieces, great nieces, nephews, they're, I've lost, you know, almost two years of, of their lives. And I, I've had to reacquaint to all of them and also to my father, who's significantly different now than he was when I saw him the last time. Um, and I've got, I'm one of the lucky ones who actually got to see their, their uh, loved ones. So I don't know what this is gonna look like. We've missed out on, on big chunks of our everyday lives with people who mean a lot to us and to just our normal routine. Um, so re-entry is what I call it. I think you know the re-entry phenomenon of what is this gonna look like and uh, having to not just reconnect, but having to um, reorient to our relationships after this period of time. And yeah, we've, we've been in touch by phone. We've been in touch by video. We've, it's not the same. No, not at all. Not the same. And uh, I'm, I'm appreciative. I thought to myself earlier this year that, oh my goodness, can you imagine if we'd gone through this pandemic without having the technology that we do have? I think that's been a saving grace in so many ways, but it's not the same. And uh, so there'll be this re-entry, I think for many of us to, 
go back into our workplaces, to go back into our families that live far away, to go back into our plans or even travel. I mean, people are thinking, do I travel? Do I not? If I do, what, what, you know, what precautions? You, things we'd never have thought about before, never on the radar before. So, you know, it's a whole different um, venue and a whole different way of approaching this reentry back into life. We've also we're grieving the loss of the way loss of our work, mm-hmm. and and for some people it's loss of a job that's yep. never going to come back, and for some uh, for others it's what's my what's my work going to look like? Am I always going to be remote? Am I going to be mixed? Is it always at the office? Will will I have someone sitting close to me? Will my friends still be there? Can I be in the in the coffee room? How do we all, so all of these complexities that we've, that we've just talked about, how do we start to move into a new normal, which we don't even know what that is? Um, I think we need to give it a, new, a different <laughs> way because new normal is. Um, but how do we all start to move back into trying to create what would be considered maybe, I don't know, standard way of living. I don't know what word to use. That includes family, friends, work. Because I don't, I, I feel if that doesn't all come together, mm-hmm. we're not going to be coping. Um, I think what I what I look at is different forms of resilience. Um, that even if you look at some of the research on uh, severe trauma and, and traumatic events, the, the typical human response to trauma, even really difficult trauma is resilience. That we talk about difficulty coping and we talk about struggling and the, the hardships, um, but there's another piece and that is our ability to demonstrate resilience and adaptability in times of really great difficulty. So I think there's a, a piece of this that, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, I, I think we look at and honor our grief and the losses and the fact that, you know, we probably will not live our lives ever in the same way again. Uh, you know, I just think about this. I was at Costco the other day and somebody sneezed next to me. Everybody just scattered, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and we never would have thought about those things before. Um, and, and that's a small piece of, of the bigger picture. So I, th- I think we recognize there are places where we, we count the losses. We, we take into account the things that we've, we've had to go through, the things that were thrust upon us, that were out of our control. Uh, the true recognition of how much of our lives is really not in our control. Because I think we, we live with this illusion and we've been brought up, especially in Western you know, industrial societies, that uh, to believe we have a lot of control over our lives and boom, all of a sudden it's this little tiny virus that's microscopic that uh, reminds us that there's a lot that is not within our control. Uh, but I, what I've seen also are, are real examples of people reaching out to each other, people uh, forming communities of networking and help that never had that before. So I think we, we take this, uh, the grief over what we've lost and re-entry into a world that's going to be very different with um, a, a, you know, kind of a, an awareness too that this, this is painful, but you know, grief is painful, but it's also adaptive. You know, that the grieving response is not a, um, 
a, a pathology or something wrong with us. It's really what helps us to adapt to things that have changed that we have lost in the process. So the same thing I think will happen here. Um, you know, there will be new business startups. There will be new ideas. There will be uh, people appreciating things that before we might have taken for granted. I'm not trying to paint this as all rosy. Um, one of my colleagues, I was just talking to him yesterday, and he's a, a researcher in grief and bereavement. And we were talking about the difference with grief related to COVID, not just COVID death, but grief related to COVID in terms of the whole big picture. And I was talking about my image that I'd used of, you know, coming after a hurricane and you, you sigh because finally the hurricane's gone it's, gone, it's moved away, but then you open the front door and you see the devastation that has to be cleaned up. And he said, there's a difference between having a hurricane pass through and being engaged in a war that has taken a long time and taken a greater toll in terms of uh, our ability to, to cope and comprehend. And he said the cleanup for that is much more difficult and much uh, different in terms of people are tired and the trauma exhausts us. So I think we will see that, especially in our, our frontline workers and people who work in healthcare and some of the services that have had to really step up in ways that they never have had to do that before. So I think we'll see both. Um, and I think we can look for areas where we are strong and, and we are resilient and also the places where we need to reflect and honor our own grief and loss. I'm maybe not as strong as I thought I was, but in other ways I'm more resourceful. It comes, I think, both hand in hand. Yeah, I, it makes me uh, realize that the people that I do talk to, especially in my neighborhood and on my street, um, because we can start to have more conversations, I talk to more people more often. And I think, yeah, you know what? When, when restrictions continue to lift, I now have new relationships mm -hmm. that I didn't have before with people who have gone through a common experience. Right, right. And, and I think that's the key is we've each gone through it differently and had different experiences. I mean, it's just like, um, you know, you losing a loved one right before the, the big COVID kind of hit and what you had to go through in terms of your grief um, and my dread that something was going to happen to my father uh, and I wasn't going to be able to go down to be with him and to be with my family uh, or to, to share that time with them. Each of us have had our own unique experiences um, and difficulties with COVID, whether it be precarious work, um, difficulties uh, in terms of the economy and how that's affected us as well. Um, you know, education, as I talked about before, and all the services that uh, have, have been set aside because of social distancing restrictions. Um, so each of us have had to deal with those really difficult things in different ways. But each of us also has had a new realization of things that uh, we maybe took for granted before that we don't now. We had in my community, uh, somebody started up a Facebook page for just our community. And I, I met people I'd never met before. Didn't even know I lived near them. But people were post on the page, I have extra flour. If you need flour, let me know. I'll put it out for you to pick it up baby formula, I need to ride, you know, something I'll mask, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, it was, it was really, really quite impressive. And I, I don't think that's going to just go away because now we can go out and do these things. You know, how do I want to take this experience and, and make it um, meaningful for how I move forward now? What do I not want to take for granted that I did before? Darcy, thanks so much for coming on and uh, talking to me about this because it is complex, but I think 
where we are now, there's a lot of people who are go are going to start to go into this mm -hmm. process of trying to deal with what has happened and what's coming. Thanks for having me, Janice.